Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with episode 159 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, the Silver King is back once again, and it is Thursday, so you know what that means. We are here to talk all things NXT and AEW, coming out of a couple very good midweek wrestling programs. Yes, there's no more Wednesday Night War. I'm still trying to think of a name or a label to give to these types of episodes, but it is NXT. It is AEW. You know that we get passionate talking about both, and that is what we are going to do once again here on today's show. But before we get into that, folks, you know the rules. You know what we need to do. It is time for you, the Getting Over listeners. Stop being marks for yourselves and... To go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. What does that mean? It means heading over to Apple Podcasts, dropping a five-star rating, and leaving a review to let people know how much you love this damn program. Those reviews are important. They help us in the Apple Podcast rankings. We're bouncing back and forth between some very high numbers. Our WrestleMania 37 instant analysis was the highest listened to, highest consumed, most consumed, whatever label you want to put on it, uh, podcast in the history of this program. So that means we are growing our audience, but in order to do it consistently week to week, we need you all to help. Not only do we need those five-star ratings and reviews, we need you guys retweeting our tweets. We need you guys tweeting about the program, telling people how much you love the show, talking to your friends and family and telling them that your favorite wrestling podcast is the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And on all of those notes, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. That is where we drop every single new release episode and we tweet live about Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, and pay-per-views as they go on each and every week. So there's every reason to follow us on Twitter. We also tweet about news and sometimes send funny gifts and retweet stuff. And you know, it's a good Twitter account. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I don't have all the time in the world today, so I'm not going to give you a long intro and get off topic. We're going to get right to the meat of this show, talking NXT and AEW. I will give a brief overview of both episodes. What I will say is, from NXT, I thought it was a relatively mediocre episode, but it was a building block show that furthered a ton of storylines. We got multiple new number one contenders and top challengers, And we also established some stipulation matches. For AEW, there were some exceptionally entertaining moments on Dynamite, but I did feel overall it was a sloppy show with a number of segments that actually didn't make much logical sense. Or even if they did, they were just filmed and edited really weird because it was clearly a taped episode. So it's a mixed bag when we talk about NXT and AEW this week. Praise for both, but also some criticism for both that we will get to throughout the show. As always, we start with NXT, and we're going to kick it off with the main event, MS Kushida against Legado del Fantasma. Santos Escobar said in a taped promo that Legado would take the tag team titles from MSK, and he would reclaim the Cruiserweight title, which you guys know sickened me because I'm begging them to pull him from the division. I thought it would just be talk, but by the end of the show, I don't think that was the case. MSK also thanked Kushida backstage for taking them under his wing since they joined NXT. And there was a story that came out over the week where Alex Shelley apparently knew MSK 
you know, beforehand and told Kushida, hey, watch out for these guys. When they join NXT, they're super talented and I want them taken care of. So that was all pretty cool storytelling. The match got about 15 minutes in the main event. Escobar powerbombed Kushida through the announce table and Nash Carter got leveled by Raul Mendoza with a knee and a toss into the steel steps. Wesley was caught by Joaquin Wilde and got destroyed in the corner with six successive quick tags by Legato, which was very Lucha Libre and very cool to see in WWE. There was a triple tag with a brain buster and a rope-assisted moonsault, but Lee surprisingly kicked out of it. Lee suddenly went on a run as Escobar missed a frog splash. He took out all of Legato as Carter finally got back onto the ring apron for the tag. Kushida pushed trainers away from him to get back into the ring, but he immediately ate a phantom driver and Legato nailed the kicking side Russian leg sweep finisher that still needs a name and still doesn't have one for the eventual win in an extremely solid and exciting 3.5, 3.75 star B plus type of match. It was really high octane action. It was a unique match layout, interesting booking, and the heels came out on top winning completely clean. The only thing I don't like out of it is what we discussed already is that Escobar is still going after the Cruiserweight Championship, but hopefully Kushida just beats him and that allows him to finally move on. This was the match of the week, by the way, through Wednesday. So Raw, NXT, AEW Dynamite, so far for me, this was the number one match of the week. We will certainly see what SmackDown has in store Friday, knowing we have Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan still to come. From there, we'll move on and kind of take the rest of the show in order. We got Dakota Kai and Mercedes Martinez in the opener. Kai got a ton of offense and hit a good draping code breaker. Raquel Gonzalez stood up for Kai late in the match, distracting Martinez. Just as Martinez was getting ready to finish Kai, Gonzalez entered and booted her right in the face before absolutely crushing and destroying her outside the ring. This was a strong match and a really good opener, but it was unfortunate that Martinez couldn't get a clean win before the attack when she's clearly going to be going up against Raquel Gonzalez and you want her to get a win. I understand they probably didn't want Dakota Kai to take another loss, but I just felt there were better ways to do it where Kai gets tripped up outside and you give an excuse for the loss, which is something AEW did for Hangman Page that we'll talk about a little bit later. But Gonzalez did look really good wreaking havoc and They are building her up to be a strong champion. So that is a positive. The Grizzled Young Veterans cut a promo in the first hour, daring MSK to defend the title straight up against them. Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher interrupted, saying they're grizzled and they're veterans and also want a title shot against MSK. So they cleared the ring with a shoe. Uh, The segment was just okay, but this will be a good in-between feud for both tag teams. And a win over Ciampa and Thatcher would mean a lot for Grizzled Young Veterans as they're going after those tag team titles. Uh, Tien Shaw had like a short vignette where their heads were floating in a black background. They looked like Queen, like the band. It was super strange. Xylee spoke Chinese and then the leader blew some smoke and that was literally all that happened. There was no translation. We have no idea what happened there. Uh, Swerve cut a promo from his studio on Leon Ruff saying he was proud that he had the balls to attack him after their match Uh, He challenged Ruff then to a Falls Count Anywhere match, and it got confirmed for next week. So that's an exciting stipulation. It should be a great match between these two. But I swear, this needs to be the end of this rivalry, and Swerve must be the one to come out on top. He has to. They just keep starting and stopping with this guy. He is the future of NXT and WWE. He's a young and perhaps even more advanced for his age, Kofi Kingston. He is more advanced than Kofi was at this age. He has every opportunity to be a main eventer in WWE. 
if they get it right. And getting it right means he needs to advance out of this damn rivalry with Leon Ruff. Tony Storm fought Zeta Ramir. Before the match, Storm said Zoe Stark owed her a thank you for making her famous at TakeOver, but said she'll only be a footnote in Tony's career after she ends her for good. Storm basically came in and squashed Ramir, and the match was over, but she chose not to hit a Storm Zero, instead putting Ramir on the top rope for an attempted avalanche Storm Zero. Stark came down to help, Ramir pushed Storm down, and then stunned everyone with an insanely, insanely great shooting star press for a massive upset. I've said it once, I'm gonna say it again. Zayda Ramir has it. And I'm very excited to see her in the future. I really love also how NXT frequently books legitimate upsets and swerves expectation for match results. This was exceedingly well done. I saw a ton of people complaining that Storm is being booked poorly and she's been buried since she's been in the United States. Should she have more victories? Yes, she's only had like five or six total matches. So she should have had more matches and in between should have picked up more victories. But there's only so many matches and only so much television time to go around. And she's perfectly fine long-term. She was a reigning for an extended period of time, like I think nearly 300 days, NXT UK champion. She won the Mae Young Classic. She's still only like 24 years old or something like that. She's going to be fine, allowing her to lose a couple matches or slump in a storyline, whatever the case, she's only gonna look stronger eventually when she comes out of it. This is not the main roster where Carmella loses four matches and then you don't see her on TV for six months. That's not what's gonna happen here. Tony Storm, I assume, will eventually beat Stark, Zoe Stark, and then she'll move on and probably eventually contest for the NXT Women's Championship. But right now, her losing this one match, it's not a big deal. She'll come back and beat Ramir. She'll come back and beat Stark, and she'll be totally fine. So everyone calm down about Tony Storm. LA Knight said everyone is talking about him beating Loomis from last week. He told Indy Hartwell to check his references because he saw a twinkle in her loins, and he could show her a better time than Loomis. This was random, and it was a relatively awkward promo. Nothing with Knight is working for me. There are some people who are jumping on board with LA Knight. If you like him, that's your prerogative. Good for you. I'm not going to argue with you. But to me, it is so forced and it is so repetitive that I just don't enjoy it. He's not exceptionally good in the ring either. So there's no single thing to hang on to. I just think the gimmick is bad. The name is bad. The look is bad. The promos... He clearly has promo talent, but being repetitive to that level without establishing all of those phrases, like people will say, yeah, The Rock was repetitive and DX was repetitive. Yes, all that's true, but they established those individual phrases over time and then put them all together. LA Knight just came in with like seven different taglines and he forces them into every promo. It's not for me. May it work down the line? Maybe it does. But right now, for me, the entire package it is not for the Silver King. Uh, Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart cut a short promo on the way ahead of next week's tag team title match when they were suddenly delivered flowers out of nowhere. Frankie Monet took the card and said they were sent by Dexter Loomis and the champions flipped out, tried to get rid of them, shoving the flowers into each other. By the way, two shows in a row, Raw and NXT, where flower delivery, and it's not even like Valentine's Day season or anything, but where flower delivery was part of a storyline 
creating angst. And I know that that's probably just a coincidence, but it is weird that it happened not just on two WWE shows, not just in the same week, but on back-to-back nights. I thought that was really strange. This all plays into the result of the next match in a long-term storyline or a longer storyline, I should say, that's being developed. So the next match later in the show is Bronson Reed versus Austin Theory. The stipulation was if Theory lost, Reed would get an opportunity at the North American Championship that Johnny Gargano currently holds. Reed stared down Gargano and Candice LeRae before hitting the ring. Hartwell walked to the ring with her head down, presumably depressed like Charlie Brown, seeing that flowers were given to the other women earlier. Gargano superkicked Reed at ringside, giving Theory an upper hand for a bit. Theory looked to be poised for victory until Loomis came out trying to talk to Hartwell. She entered the ring. He jumped on the ring apron. Theory then got run into Loomis and Reed hit him with the tsunami for the win before staring down Gargano now that he's earned a future North American title opportunity. Another match where Reed beating Theory clean would have been a better result than doing this. Theory doesn't need to be protected in this way. But it was entertaining nevertheless. Backstage, Gargano blamed Loomis and Larray blamed Moon and Blackheart for being hussies and trying to take her man. So that's basically what they had set up. We then got Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart against the Robert Stone brand. That was a scheduled match. But before the match could even start, the way attacked the champions with flowers, chocolates, and a fruit basket, throwing them over the barricade and pummeling them outside. Robert Stonebrand grabbed the titles and celebrated in the ring as if they had won the championships. I like the additional build to the tag team match, and that has now been made a street fight for next week. So next week on, a, on uh, I almost said AEW, on NXT, we have a Falls Count Anywhere match and a street fight, both of which are grudge rivalries and both of which are very exciting. And on their own, give us a lot of reason to tune in next week. Whereas this week's NXT, there wasn't a lot promoted for the show that really got you excited to specifically watch this episode. Although certainly we love NXT every single week. They also announced next week that Finn Balor would be returning and would address the crowd. So we had Kyle O'Reilly one week. This week we had Adam Cole we'll talk about in a minute. And then we have next week, Finn Balor. All three people who had major roles at TakeOver Stand and Deliver are gonna get the opportunity to do the promo I should mention the first week after Stand and Deliver, we had the champion, Karrion Cross get that same opportunity, but now we haven't seen the champion in multiple weeks, and now we're seeing each of these guys one week at a time. You kind of want the star power on the show, so they need to kind of think about that as they move forward. A couple more things here from NXT. Imperium faced Drake Maverick and Killian Dane. Maverick told Dane their match against Imperium was convenient, and he watched wrestling for so long that he knows Dane is eventually going to turn on him. Dane entered the match illegally and destroyed Imperium after they tried to separate him from Maverick. Alexander Wolfe grabbed a chair to hit Dane, but he hesitated, presumably due to their sanity connection. Marcel Bartel got mad at that and took Dane out, leaving Maverick to eat the Doomsday European uppercut powerbomb. Again, another move that needs a name for the loss. There was good storytelling here with Dane and Maverick, Dane having Maverick's back when Maverick thought he would turn on him, but this match was nothing special at all. Pete Dunne cut a pre-taped promo saying all champions in the US and UK should be afraid of him. He called them all out individually, including Karrion Cross, saying he's the baddest man in NXT and daring anyone to prove him wrong. This was pretty good from Dunne, similar to the Miro promos we've been getting in AEW recently, but I liked it from him and I am curious to see what's next. Cameron Grimes visited a jeweler looking for the most extravagant watch in the city. Grimes found a gold watch and he told the jeweler to ring it up. He was getting ready to pay for it when suddenly a hand shoved a gold and diamond Rolex into the camera's view, the camera panned back, 
And it's Ted DiBiase. He's there doing his million dollar laugh and cackling as Grimes gets pissed and Million Dollar Man eventually leaves. So they did tease this, obviously. But my hope was that DiBiase would have greater involvement with Grimes. And I'm not saying that won't happen. But as a little tease, if this is just a tease, this was fantastic. If this was the entirety of the Million Dollar Man's involvement, him flying in and just doing this, that would be a disappointment because now there's something here and I kind of want to see more. So hopefully there's a number of vignettes taped over a couple of weeks. And I wouldn't mind if at the end, they end up being kindred spirits and DiBiase almost gives him a seal of approval or something like that. But for now, the fact that DiBiase is kind of grinding his gears and like nudging him and and driving a wedge into Grimes' uh, exuberance is pretty entertaining. And I, I hope this is just the start of a long series of vignettes. Adam Cole was sitting poolside in a suit, acting like an asshole as Arash Makarzi waited to interview him. Apparently he is now a member of NXT, by the way. Cole said he delivered the first shot, but Undisputed Era are actually the ones who lost their ways and turned on him because they changed their attitudes. He said Kyle O'Reilly got lucky at TakeOver and is still not ready for the main event spot, especially while he's around. Cole said Cross is good as NXT champion, but he's not sure if he's great yet. He also said he wouldn't reveal what's next for him, but he's pissed at the attention O'Reilly is getting and he's ready to prove how much better he is. Then Cole went on a rant on Markazi, and the camera switched to show O'Reilly watching from a monitor somewhere. We don't really know where it was. This was really damn good, though. Again, making Cole look like a star. It seems they may actually be setting up the Loser Leaves NXT match that I've wanted all along. I don't know if that's what's going to happen, but clearly Cole and O'Reilly, we thought that was going to be a blow-off match at Stand and Deliver. It does not look like it was. And it looks like there's going to be one. But he's also talking about carrying cross. So I'm really not sure what the storyline here is with Adam Cole. But again, we're talking about these guys appearing on TV one week at a time. We kind of want them all on TV in the same weeks. Like think about AEW. They're not kind of separating where you get Omega one week, Moxley one week, Jericho one week. They're putting all their stars on the show. That's what NXT needs to do. I don't care that they're not in competition anymore. Look at SmackDown. Look at Raw. You know, you you generally get all your guys on. Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan, now Cesaro's in the main event, Kevin Owens. You're getting all your stars on at the same time. There's no reason to separate them. You're giving people reasons not to tune into your show if they like a guy and he's never on screen. So NXT does need to figure that out. And then lastly, there was an MMA-inspired kind of vignette for something called Diamond Mine. I have no idea about it, but I'm not a huge fan of the name at the jump. If NXT was to sign Tessa Blanchard, which people are saying is a rumor just because of the diamond and she uses that as her gimmick, this does not seem like something that would make sense for her. She doesn't really have an MMA background. That's not how she's built. And there's plenty of other women in NXT that have that MMA type of deal. But this definitely created a bunch of intrigue. There's some people thinking... This might be the name of the NXT Evolve type of show that's been rumored. Again, I think NXT Evolve is a great name. Diamond Mine really isn't. If they're going to do a training type of faction, well, you had Thatch's Thatch Can and that just disappeared. So now you're not going to do that, but you're going to do this instead. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what this is, but we say this all the time. Whenever NXT, and they did it with the vignettes, whenever Moon returned, they did it a little bit with Frankie Monet, although that was a little bit more obvious. Whenever a wrestling brand, any wrestling brand, can create intrigue and interest into someone or something debuting, 
that's a good thing. WWE has totally shied away from it. AEW, I think they did it with Wardlow, but now that I'm thinking, I don't know that they've done it since. Oh, they did it for the Dark Order. Um, certainly they did it a little bit as well. But outside of that, they don't do it much either. NXT does it consistently. And that's one of the things that growing up as a kid watching wrestling, I loved. You'd get vignettes, the Chris Jericho countdown. Even though we were smart fans and we read newsletters and listened to dirt sheets and we knew it was going to be Jericho, it was still cool. Those are the types of things that Raw and SmackDown badly miss. And they're just starting to do it a little bit with Aleister Black, although that's not going to be a surprise. We already know who that is. But these vignettes and these storytelling devices, they matter. They make products and debuts more interesting. They give people presence before you even see them. And so no matter what this is, I'm excited to find out what it is going to be. Although right off the top, not a huge fan of the name. So that is the breakdown of NXT. As I said, it was a relatively mediocre episode, but there was a building block. It was getting us set for this upcoming week on NXT with a couple big matches and storylines going forward as NXT builds to whatever its next takeover is going to be. We're not sure when that's going to be. My assumption is it's probably going to be in June, but we just don't know at this time. So we will certainly find out soon. Promotional consideration for this episode of Getting Over is brought to you by the Art of Manliness podcast. Are you sick of having to wade through two hours of fluff in order to get a few good takeaways? Well, tune into the Art of Manliness podcast. They glean and distill the very best insights from the world's experts in self-improvement, philosophy, practical skills, history, and more. And they do so in under an hour without all of the eye roll inducing filler. You'll walk away from every episode of the Art of Manliness podcast with actionable insights you can start implementing today to improve your life. Be sure to subscribe to the Art of Manliness podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast player. So with that, let's move on to AEW. And I'm going to do the same thing with Dynamite as I did with NXT. I'm going to pick the top storyline that I want to talk about up top, and then we'll go over the rest of the show, mostly in order. So the Blood and Guts parlay, because Blood and Guts is next week, that was the big storyline for AEW. And to my surprise, this thing started 50 minutes into the show. Instead of being in the main event like last week, I told you guys it should have been. And looking back on Dynamite this week, I was 100% right. This should have been in the main event. I suppose the idea was to keep people from tuning out of Dynamite because the president had his speech on that was basically at that nine o'clock hour. But it just seems like they should have put something against that speech that was the TNT championship match, basically, the Darby Allen match, rather than the biggest thing they want to promote ahead of a massive show next week. So I was disappointed that this was in the middle of the show. And then by the end of it, because it was really good, I was even more disappointed that it wasn't in the main event at the end of the show. Both factions had security uh, lead them to the ring with the inner circles security arriving on three big loud motorcycles for no reason whatsoever. Sean Spears talked trash to Sammy Guevara. So Sammy called him a failure in AEW and WWE and then just randomly decided out of nowhere to give the pinnacle the advantage in the match and start the match himself. That did not make a shred of sense to just give up an advantage like that willy-nilly. No one in the inner circle questioned him. Jericho didn't say, what are you doing? This is a blood rivalry. The match is called Blood and Guts. And you're just going to say, nah, nah, you guys take the advantage. 
That was weird. I didn't like that. They should have done, candidly, what NXT does, which is, I think NXT has ladder matches. They could have at least had a singles match, like, later in the show, Sean Spears against Sammy Guevara, the winner's team gets the advantage. And then you have Pinnacle Cheat, Sean Spears wins, gives him a win, and they get the advantage. They should have done anything but just, like, give it to one of the teams. That didn't, I didn't like that at all. Other than that, this was good. FTR cut promos on Santana and Ortiz, saying they should tell their kids they're not coming home from the match. MJF then thanked Chris Jericho for AEW's entire existence, but said his goal was to take Jericho's crown and ensure Pinnacle replaces Inner Circle as the best group in wrestling. MJF said he'd thank Jericho again when he was standing over his body at the end of the match. Jericho said MJF can't inherit or absorb his spot. He's got to earn it. Jericho cut a great promo about earning respect around the world and Inner Circle being a real family. He said Pinnacle would have to kill Inner Circle to make them surrender, which would not happen. This Jericho promo was easily his best of the series of promos with or against MJF. The others that people have been praising, completely overrated, as I've said on this show, but he absolutely crushed this one, screaming in MJF's face. It was a fantastic segment to build for Blood and Guts next week, which again is why it should have been the go-home segment in the main event promoting the big match next week. Now, as far as my prediction for the match, because we're not going to do a preview for a single match, I don't know what they're going to do. Historically, in every major match that MJF's had, with the exception of the AEW championship match, he's come out on top. So you would think that they're going to come out on top again. But the problem is the inner circle just turned face and they've been losing so much with Jericho losing the series to Orange Cassidy, Jericho losing to MJF. You need to keep inner circle strong. So I think because this is a group event, it's a team event, because MJF isn't necessarily a badass, you can almost paint him as a coward or you can paint Sean Spears as a coward or you can maybe even have Tully Blanchard throw in the towel or do something like that. I think there's more outs to get the pinnacle out of this match as losers than there is to get inner circle out of the match. Because if any of those guys quit, it really looks bad for the entire faction. So with that, I'm gonna pick inner circle to go ahead and win Blood and Guts next week on AEW Dynamite. Uh, The show opened with Hangman Page against Brian Cage. I got tongue-tied there. Uh, By the way, I said it last week, so I think I was right. Hangman Page basically opens 75% of Dynamites at this point. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but he's pretty good, and I'd like to see him featured in matches later in the show that get built up a little bit more. Page was attacked by Team Taz, and the Dark Order came to his defense before the bell. Hangman hit a moonsault from the top rope outside, but Cage caught Page's buckshot lariat with a counter. Then he hit two power bombs, threw him into the corner, and nailed the drill cloth finisher for the win. It should not be a surprise given Cage's size, strength, and presence, but considering Page had not lost any match since November 7th, and that was to Kenny Omega in the finals of that number one contendership tournament, and he hadn't lost another singles match in the last 12 months prior to that, that's a damn good piece of booking for Cage, a guy who needed to win, to beat Page, the number one ranked guy, and the guy who could easily absorb a loss as long as it was booked well, which this was. Page has an excuse with the pre-match attack, and that made sense now, given the final result. I was going to criticize it, but given the fact that he lost, it made total sense. The loss is also interesting because 
It could bump Page down the rankings, delaying his match with Omega, perhaps until AEW can run in a full arena again. It also sets up an interesting potential Omega versus Cage showdown, where Omega could potentially force the FTW title to be on the line, which he could add to his collection, considering that's the storyline he's doing as belt collector. It was also important for Team Taz to get a freaking win for a change, and for Brian Cage to be the one to do it. Later in the show, Christian Cage approached Taz and said he'd take one of his guys out one by one, uh, proving that they have a lot of talent and would be better off without Taz as their leader. This was easily Christian's strongest promo since joining AEW. Actually, I think it's the strongest promo by a mile since joining AEW. So a lot of positive stuff here. It's not going to be as positive as we move on for the rest of Dynamite. But I love the parlay, and I love the Page Cage match, booking, and even the stuff that came out of it with Christian as well. So all of that stuff, really, really exciting, and I thought it was the most solid part of Dynamite. We had the Young Bucks against the Seidel brothers. Matt Jackson literally punched Mike Seidel in the nuts. And then the Bucks hit the BTE trigger for the win. The Bucks are really hamming it up as heels. This match was completely forgettable for me. SCU came out and reminded fans that, hey, next time they lose, they will stop being a tag team. Which, by the way, is a really weird stipulation, even for veterans. But then they said they're undefeated since creating that stipulation. And they're the top-ranked tag team. And they want their title shot, which... They will win and they'll take the Bucks out of the company. That doesn't make sense either because the Bucks are executive vice presidents. But okay, it was not a good promo from SCU. This was messy. There's no reason to believe SCU will beat the Bucks. On top of that, I hate that many times AEW's number one contenders, based on the rankings, earn those spots in the rankings on a completely different program, meaning AEW Dark and maybe now Elevation as well. If you don't watch the YouTube shows, you would have no idea that SCU had done anything to be the number one contenders, the number one ranked team. Because I think you've only seen them wrestle on Dynamite like once in the last couple of months. And then you only saw Frankie Kazarian. The last time you saw him was in a singles match with Christian Cage. So there's no build. Like at least with the women and Britt Baker, they're trying to tell you, hey, I'm not number one ranked, but I'm going to go on dark and win matches. So I am number one ranked. I have a problem with that too, because I want her winning matches on Dynamite, because God forbid AEW put more than one women's match on a two-hour show. And I've had the same criticism for SmackDown, so don't think I'm being selectively angry here. But why not have Britt Baker win these matches on Dynamite? Why not have SCU open the show one week and win a match? That way, the commentary can tell you, as a fan, that's their fifth straight win. They're now number two in the rankings. And then, yeah, if they win a couple more matches on Dark, now when they come back and say we're number one in the rankings... You go, oh, right, they said two weeks ago that they were number two. But they don't do those things. So either the rankings matter or they don't. And if they do matter, then the people moving up the rankings need to be doing that at least partially on your main only TV program. Because I'm not going to go watch Dark. And I think there's only like a couple hundred thousand people who do when you're getting basically a million viewers on TV, which means 80% of your audience is not watching your YouTube shows. That means they don't know what's happening and why these people are suddenly becoming number one contenders. So that is definitely something that AEW needs to figure out. Jade Cargill cut another promo about being her own boss and not needing a manager, but that managers should try to impress her if they want to sign her. This whole thing does not compute for me. Why is she continuously talking about managers when she said she doesn't need one? Jim Ross kept calling her a free agent. 
but she's literally signed to AEW, so she's not a free agent. Maybe she's a free agent for managers, but so is half the roster. Half the roster doesn't have managers. Some might be in groups or factions, but they don't have managers. So this whole thing's a mess. Uh, we got Penta L0M against Orange Cassidy. There was a bunch of comedy at the start. Penta hit a great brain buster and a really inventive one-handed sit-down hooking bomb. Uh, they went back to comedy with Penta trying to force Orange not to put his hand in his pocket. Penta hit three super kicks and a Canadian destroyer, but Orange did not sell it one iota and then came back with the beach break with Penta's shoulder lifted on the pitting attempt. Orange then hit Stun Dog Millionaire, a diving DDT and a tornado DDT as Alex Abrahantis grabbed the mic to talk trash. So Orange flipped him into the ring. He then flipped out of a package pile driver. Trent handed Orange a mic and he hit the Superman punch with the microphone for the win. Orange beat Penta, for real. Outside of the questionable booking, the match was fun and it really picked up a lot of energy on a show that was lacking it after that opening match between Hangman Page and Brian Cage. So I love the energy when they were actually wrestling. I liked the wrestling, but the booking of this didn't like it all. Penta went from calling out Cody and looking like he was gonna get a push into the mid card or main event to now losing to Orange Cassidy. This is one of the best wrestlers in the world. Not for me, didn't like the booking. Britt Baker backstage celebrated being number one contender in the AEW rankings and said she's clearly the face of the women's division. That's all she said. It was the same promo as last week. There was no storyline advancement or challenge made. Just nothing happened here. Again, as I said earlier, I'm glad that she's the number one contender. She should be the one to take the title off Hikaru Shida, but I wanna see her win matches on television, not just win matches on dark that I don't see. And you can blame me for not watching that, but as I said, 80% of AEW's audience is not watching AEW dark. So I'm with the vast majority of people watching AEW. The elite were celebrating in a limo. They were really squished together. Uh, It was really tight and kind of uncomfortable seeing them so close together. And I don't know why they, as a faction that has a lot of championships and money, and AEW as a company that has plenty of money, didn't just get them a larger limo for this segment. It just didn't make any sense. Anyway, Omega cut a promo about the titles and money following him and the elite wherever they go. Then he scheduled a match between Eddie Kingston and Michael Nakazawa, who's now called MT Nakazawa. I don't know why. Maybe that's a being the elite thing, but I'm not familiar with that. And I hope that that was an attack setup, which it basically was. Kingston came out to the ring and called out Omega, but Nakazawa hit him from behind with a laptop. Kingston then hit him with a back fist and threatened to break his ankle, which brought out Kenny Omega. Omega basically said, okay, go ahead, do it. Then called out Brandon Cutler to attack Kingston. But John Moxley took out Cutler from behind backstage with a chair and then leveled Omega. They were about to snap Omega's ankle once they got him into the ring inside of a chair when Don Callis on the mic relented to a tag team match against Omega and Nakazawa next week. This whole deal didn't really make a shred of sense. Omega has the elite who were supposedly with him in the limo, not just the Bucks who fought earlier, but the Good Brothers as well. Yet none of the other four guys came to his aid when he had a chair wrapped around his ankle being threatened by Mox and Kingston. I thought this was pretty bad and actually the worst thing they've done so far with Omega since he became AEW champion. And it's weird that this guy just won the Impact title and that's how they celebrate it with 
Kingston and Moxley getting him cornered and none of the guys in his faction having his back. And now there's a title match, uh, there's a tag team match, I should say, next week with him and Nakazawa. That it just was bad booking. It really wasn't for me. Penelope Ford faced Chris Statlander. Again, the lone women's match on the show with a double commercial break. There was good action at parts of it. Statlander won with her sit-down tombstone cradle. Then backstage, Miro attacked Kip Sabian, slammed his arm between a door, asking where he's been and saying no one will stop him from being champion. Then he cradled his head and forgave him and said, good talk, which popped me. I thought that was pretty funny. This was one of the better Miro backstage deals we've gotten in the year he's been in AEW. I am kind of curious, like, does he remain with Sabian and is Sabian now like his abused partner? Or is that it? Do they fully break him off? I love the idea of Miro going after titles. And I do think he will be the one to take the TNT title off Darby Allen. So keep doing this, more of this. But I want to see Miro fight people and beat people and really beat the shit out of people in the ring and eventually earn that title shot against Darby. We got the Nightmare family against the Factory. The Factory entered the arena area on the Nightmare family bus. Lee Johnson had a great tope cannonball, but Anthony Ogogo punched him and Billy Gunn in the gut. Despite it being almost 30 seconds later, QT Marshall then covered Johnson after the gut punch for the win. Nick Camarado then took out Dustin Rhodes with a bull rope. Gun Club attacked Marshall after the match. Marshall went back to the bus where Cody Rhodes was waiting to attack him. Suddenly, out of nowhere, there were 40 people surrounding them in the parking lot. And AEW cut away from this brawl in the parking lot with 40 people cheering them on to show highlights. Then they come back And Cody and Marshall are suddenly on top of the bus. And Aubrey Edwards decides to climb up the bus with them for no reason. Cody then taps out QT Marshall with a figure four on top of the bus. And the crowd below is jumping and chanting for him. Uh, This whole thing was just like, why? And like everything they do with Cody has to be so ridiculously over the top. I maintain that this is a low card faction, perfectly fine for dark and not nearly good enough for Dynamite. The way they win every match is by one dude gut-punching people. Guy who isn't even in the match. The entire segment was weird and overdone, as is everything with Cody, to be fair. I don't know what the purpose of this is. I have to assume Cody's going to win at the end, but Cody's not going to challenge for the TNT title. He's not going to, can't challenge for the AEW World Championship. He's not in a tag team. I guess they're just trying to figure out something to do with him, but... I don't know. This whole thing's weird and it's just not for me. The TNT Championship was the main event. Darby Allen against 10 of the Dark Order. Darby hit a cannonball outside and Sting stopped five Dark Order guys from helping. He scared off five different dudes and I don't even believe he had the bat. I could be wrong, but I don't think he had the bat. Ethan Page then attacked Darby with everyone distracted, giving 10 an opening. He had a springing German suplex for a near fall but Darby broke a full Nelson and ripped at his mask, which is, by the way, completely a heel move. He tried a springboard stunner, but 10 caught him in the full Nelson. Darby then ran up the corner to fall backwards around 10, pinning him for the win, just as the women in WWE have pinned Shayna Baszler for the Karafuda clutch, just to give the context of how that happened. So after a couple of weeks of Darby winning with his finisher, which has been great, he's back to barely escaping matches, in this case, doing it against a low carter. After the match, Page distracted Darby and Scorpio Sky attacked Sting with a heel hook as Page choked Darby and made him watch. Then Lance Archer and Ten came in to make the save. This was a shrug for me. As I said earlier, 
The parlay was an easy call for the main event. This belonged early in the show. They really should have just switched places. And this was not a match or a segment good enough to close an episode of Dynamite. I guess what they're going to be doing, because they're not going to have Sting wrestle in random matches, is have Darby Allin team up with Lance Archer, maybe, against Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, which probably from a wrestling standpoint is going to be a great match. But from a storyline perspective, none of it means much to me in the end. So that was Dynamite, just like I said earlier. There were some exceptionally entertaining moments, the parlay, the Hangman Page and Brian Cage match, a couple other things I mentioned, some of the action in Penta versus Orange Cassidy, but I did feel this was a very sloppy, weirdly booked show. And considering this was a quote-unquote go-home show for Blood and Guts, not putting Blood and Guts, that big storyline, in the main event and teasing it throughout the show, for me, was a mistake. We'll see what happens from a ratings perspective. AEW has done great since NXT moved to Tuesdays. Um, But I just thought this felt a little flat when they really had an opportunity to hit a home run leading into Blood or Guts. Now, that said, next week, I'm still exceptionally excited for Blood and Guts. It is not going to be a one-match card like I thought it was going to be. Apparently, it's a one-match card for the live audience. There's going to be about three or four other matches. All are pre-taped. We're going to see those on this Dynamite show leading into Blood or Guts in the main event. And it makes sense. You're going to have a double ring, a big cage structure. There's no way you can have a bunch of live matches ahead of that unless you can lower the cage. And considering the construction of Daly's place, I don't think there's a way for them to lower the cage. I think they just need to build it on the ring or around the ring and go ahead and do the match. So I'm really excited for Blood and Guts. It should do great numbers next week. It should be a great match. Those 10 people are all really exciting individuals and two exciting factions. So I think it's going to be great. This week, I just didn't think the build was that good for it, whereas NXT was a little bit of the opposite. It wasn't that exciting of an episode. It didn't have the moments that AEW did, but it was a total building block episode for next week and future NXT shows. They basically set up four different title matches over the course of NXT this week. So a little bit of a mixed bag from NXT and AEW this week, but overall entertaining television on Tuesday and Wednesday nights, as we always get. Certainly looking forward to SmackDown to see how the week will close. We will be back next week on Tuesday to break down all things WWE. We'll talk about SmackDown and we'll talk about Raw on that show. There is a very likely chance that Friday night after SmackDown goes off the air, considering it is a Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan main event. There's a very good chance we will do a live Twitter Spaces audio reaction. So do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You also need the official Twitter app for iOS or Android in order to listen to us. But if you have those things, you can join us in our live audio chat immediately after SmackDown goes off the air. I don't 100% know we're going to do it. I have to see what actually happens. But considering it's Reigns and Brian, I assume we will do at least a 15 or 20 minute audio once SmackDown is over. So again, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And do not forget to download the Twitter app on iOS and or Android, whichever phone or phones you have, devices you have, in order to join in. You can ask questions, you can tweet us, you can react with emojis, and you can listen to me. And hopefully Chris will join me or someone else will join me talk about what transpired on SmackDown. Also, do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and review to let people know how much you love this 
podcast. I am still looking for the Booker T. It's all about the five sound drop. The official one, I believe it happened on TNA that he said it, but I'm not 100% sure. It may have been WWE. If anyone can find that sound drop or even that entire segment, send it to me. I will cut the sound. I will get it on our soundboard because look, I love our soundboard. I love all the different drops we have, but as much as I like the Mark line from Finn Balor, I want to switch it up. I want some other sound drops. I know I think that's the only one I played today. Um, maybe I'm just busy. And let's also make sure we get Keith Lee back sooner than later. Okay, I'm joining on. The show is over. Again, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. We will be back Tuesday talking all things WWE. And then again, next Thursday, talking NXT and AEW Dynamite. With that, the Silver King bids you adieu, and I will leave you with three final words. Bye for now.